Amen. Will you stand with me, please? Let me read some Bible to you. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. My subject simply today is Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. The Bible is a book that deals with blood. Any chapter that you turn to in the Bible, you're going to find Jesus there. Wherever you cut it, wherever you slice it, that book's going to bleed. Even though we talk about the blood and we sing songs about it, uh, washed in the blood, it's always been my contention that few people really understand the effect that has been accomplished through what Peter called the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The word precious is a Greek word that means extremely rare and extremely valuable. For many years, I've quoted a scripture to you from Leviticus 17 and 11, and it says, life of the flesh is in the blood. Right now, since you've started listening to me, you've taken anywhere between 12 and 15 breaths every minute, and you don't even remember it. You don't even notice that you were breathing. I think that's why God made breathing automatic. Because if he didn't, when you fell asleep tonight, you wouldn't wake up in the morning. If you had to think about breathing, it would literally take over your conscious thoughts. Remember, I got to breathe. I got to breathe. I got to breathe. If you forget to pay your light bill, they're going to turn off your lights. If you forget to pay your phone bill, if you forget to pay your mortgage or your car note, they're going to come and repossess it. God knew that breathing was too important for us to simply do it on our own. Because if you had to remember to breathe, you couldn't do anything else. Your whole focus would be on getting air. They say you can live for about three weeks without food. You can live for a little over three days without water. But if you go more than three minutes without air, you're going to start having brain damage. And in seven minutes, most people would be dead. Right now, we are breathing air from this atmosphere. That air is comprised of predominantly nitrogen and oxygen. 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen. But as you know, you don't live on nitrogen. You live on oxygen. They, oxygen and nitrogen don't grow together. When you, when you breathe, there's a word called osmosis. Osmosis means there's a lot of something in one room and then there's a wall and then there's another room that doesn't have much. Osmosis is when something goes from greater concentration through a barrier or through a membrane and into a lesser concentration. 
This is what's going on in your body right now. When you inhale, your lungs are inhaling a combination of nitrogen and oxygen. And what happens is the lungs have these tiny things that literally pull the oxygen out of the air that you breathe. Your lungs are full of all these pipes and blood vessels and your lungs perform this amazing process of osmosis, of literally taking oxygen-rich air and putting it into oxygen-deficient blood. Your blood now is going to carry this oxygen through 60,000 miles of vessels known as veins, arteries, and capillaries. Literally, life is in the blood. It's in the blood. I want to talk to you about the blood of Jesus that was shed for this entire world today. Not because we deserve it. Child does a good job in school. We might give him a reward. If you do a good job at work, as Andrew Lewis has, Andrew just got his fourth raise. His fourth promotion. Congratulations, Andrew. His boss just told him, I have never had an employee like you. And I have never given four promotions to one person in one year. But you not only got it, you deserved it. And I want to thank you, Andrew, for the witness that you've lived. I want to thank a precious young man that calls this church home whose name is Harrison. Harrison got in trouble last week. Because one of his friends that he's known for many years was a boy, has now decided that he was going to be a girl. He's eight years old. His mother and his father are completely in support of that. They went down to City Hall and had his name changed to a girl's name. When Harrison didn't call him by his girl's name last week, he got in trouble because his teacher is promoting this agenda. Harrison, we're proud of you, son. And uh, we want you to know that we're grateful. Sorry you had to put up with this. But you're seeing this more and more and more, ladies and gentlemen. We are in a world of confusion. Bible said God is not the author of confusion. But he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He doesn't just begin, he ends. Your wife does something amazing. If you're smart, you'll get her flowers or some other type of gift. However, these things are done by people who deserve it. There is no possible way that you and I could have paid for the blood of Jesus Christ. It is without a doubt the world's greatest fluid. And as I've taught you for years, there's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin, and that's blood. There is nothing more valuable than the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why I read you these verses at the beginning. We didn't deserve it, but he shed it for us. Look at what the book of Luke says was his prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was put to shame. You ever been spit on? I've been spit on once in my life. I never forgot it. 
It was one of the most repulsive experiences I've ever had in my life for someone to intentionally just spit in my face. But this was not just one solitary person that did this to Jesus. This was multiple people that saved all that saliva and all that goo and just spit it in his face and let it coagulate in his beard. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was hung naked. Can you imagine the Savior of the world being hung naked? Because in the beginning they were naked and they weren't ashamed. See, shame is the result of sin. This is why Jesus, who knew no sin, could hang naked in front of the world without shame because there was no sin in his life. He spent hours of pain, sorrow, and shame in the process of shedding his blood for our sins. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, he hath made him, made him to be sin for us. He that knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus never sinned, but he was made sin without being the sinner. He shed his blood for all the wrongs that we have done. He never told a lie, but he shed his blood for every lie that's ever been told. He, 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 he was literally hung up for our hangups. He went to the cross, shed his blood. The Bible said that blood justifies us. And if you want to know an easy way to remember that word, it's just as if I had not done it. That's what his blood did for me and for you. In July, I buried my father. The funeral home referred to him as the late Harry Hoffman. But let me explain something to you. My dad wasn't late. He was early. He went to the New Jerusalem before the rest of us. You and I are late. We're going to get there. He got there early. And in the garden, Adam sinned. Let gentlemen, please watch me very closely. It was not Eve that sinned. We've always said that woman messed the whole thing up. The Bible says by one man, by one man, sin entered into the world. It was Adam who was given the commandment, given dominion. Listen to what it says in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, Thou shalt surely die. Eve wasn't even there when the Lord gave this commandment forbidding Adam from that fruit. I know that because in the very next verse, in verse 18, God said, you're alone. It's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make you a help meet. Please notice the words. It's not help mate. That woman is not there just to have children. She's there to help you, sir to be able to meet the need. When I go to Australia, they have a word in Australia, uh, especially among men, is, he was my mate. He was my mate. Uh, we like to blame the woman, but that's not what the Lord did. 
he said that Adam was the first man. And uh, when you really think of it, she got him. She did. He bought him into the lie. And uh, Solomon, you know, Adam was the first man and uh, a woman got him. Solomon was the wisest man and a woman got him. David was the most popular man. A woman got him. Samson was the strongest man and a woman got him. And you can blame whoever you want to blame, but let me tell you, there was one man that no woman ever got. No woman ever got the man, Christ Jesus. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus never made mistakes. Adam sure did. There's nothing wrong with listening to your wife. Adam just listened to her at the wrong time. And so I think Solomon's mistake was he loved too many women. Samson's mistake was he got his hair cut in the wrong barbershop. David's mistake was he got lifted up with pride and numbered the people. My point is you can't blame the fall of man on the woman because Adam had the commandment. He ate the fruit and that is what poisoned the blood of the entire human family. There are at least 110 different trees still in existence in that region of what the Bible calls Eden. There may have been more at the time that Adam was there, which means to me he passed up all of those good ones. And got me and you and him in trouble. I've seen people in pastoring pass up 110 blessed things to mess with the one thing that's forbidden. It always has a downfall. You can't pass off or pass on to your offspring anything after you're born. I had an accident years ago in Atlanta. I my left thumb doesn't work. This one works, but this one doesn't. They grafted it all together. It's just one thing. It doesn't have a joint. It doesn't move. But this happened after I was born. When my daughters were born, their thumbs worked perfectly because I couldn't pass this off to them after I was born. I can't genetically affect my children after they are born. Anything you pass on is in your genetic coding. It's called a genome. And, and you have to realize that Adam sinned after he was born. In 1986, there was a horrible accident in the Ukraine in a place called Chernobyl. If you've ever studied nuclear reactors, they are without a doubt one of the most powerful things in the world today. Words like strontium and cesium and iodine, they're unstable elements and they bring them together. They make rods out of these elements and they push them together. And when they do, there is a release of energy 
And that energy, of course, is always released in the form of heat. These things are surrounded with water. It heats the water. The water turns into steam. The steam drives enormous pistons and turbines, produces electricity for vast areas of property. But years ago, something happened to the cooling system in the reactor in Chernobyl, and the thing caught on fire. When candles melt, that wax just conceal, congeals on the plate or on the stick that holds it. If you've ever been around metal when it melts, it'll just pool on the floor. But you're not just talking about wax or metal here. You're talking about very, very powerful elements. And when that water and that cooling system refused to work in Chernobyl, those elements caught on fire and they melted. And when they hit the concrete in the bottom of that reactor, it didn't stop them. And those elements literally melted through 20 feet of hardened concrete going into the earth. Firemen rushing there, dumping hundreds of thousands of gallons of water. All of this steam, which is just radioactive, is being released. Today, even today, 30 years after, after Chernobyl, there is a ring around that place, 20 miles. No one can live within that 20-mile ring. Many of those firemen that fought that blaze had no idea what was going on. They died very shortly after that. Women who were carrying children in that city and their husbands worked in the reactors. Those children were born with deformities. Nature has claimed Chernobyl again. It's pretty amazing to see it. The trees are amazing. The wolves have come back. The coyotes are there. They have moose. They have elk. They have deer running everywhere. And it looks on the outside beautiful. But when they do their, 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 their work, these things are genetically altered. They have been exposed to an amazing force. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't give something to my children after, after I was born. So my question is, how in the world could Adam give away something to his children after he was born? Because when he sinned after he was born, that sin genetically altered his DNA because sin is hereditary. You don't go to school to learn sin. When did you ever teach your children to lie? When did you ever teach your children to steal? Did you ever sit down and teach your kids how to cuss? I never did. But my girls knew how to lie from the very beginning. I still remember we had a, at the paint store, you can get the little stirring sticks for the regular gallon, or you can get the big ones for them five gallon. They're about this big and about that wide. Well, that was the one we used to spank our daughters with when they got unruly. And I had Brittany's name and I had Ashley's name. And every time I gave them a spanking, I'd put a mark on that, on that board that I used to spank their bottom. 
and you'd get one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four. There, there was a lot of marks on that board. And one day, that, that paddle mysteriously disappeared. And we had no idea what happened to it. And a year later, I was walking down the hall of our house. My wife had put beautiful wallpaper on the wall, but then she had a border that was like a chair rail going down the hall. And I just happened to be rubbing my hand down the wall and I felt a bump in that chair rail strip. And what Brittany had done was figured out a way to peel that, that wallpaper, that border off of that chair rail. And she stuck that paddle down there and buried it in that wallpaper and then licked it and sealed it so that it just disappeared. I, I, who taught my daughter to steal my paddle? You know, I never taught her that, but, but, but she knew that you, you, you have to understand something when, 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 when you, you, you are automatically born sinning and lying without even trying because it's genetic. It's been hardwired into our spirit. And when Adam sinned, he received a genetic mutation in his genes it's like living in Chernobyl. The accident occurred and it's showing up in your kids. And except sin is much more powerful than any nuclear weapon ever thought of being because sin became hereditary and produced a brand new phenomenon known as death. And it was introduced into the human family. The Bible said in Romans 5, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all, for all sinned. Adam, or animals rather, they, they don't have a soul. So when they die, they die naturally. But because of sin, people die unnaturally. But let me explain something to you. That when Jesus died on the cross... He didn't die naturally. He didn't die unnaturally. He died supernaturally. He died supernaturally because he had the blood in him that was going to save the world. Jesus didn't have blood like Adam. He didn't have blood like Adam because Adam's blood had poisoned the entire human family. Somebody has to come that has the right to redeem us. And since Adam had died, the search had been on from the beginning to find the right man. In Job chapter nine, he said, I was looking for a man. This is what it says in the message. How I wish we had an arbitrator to step in and let me get on with life, to break God's death grip on me, to free me from this terror so I could breathe again. So I could speak up and state my case boldly. But as things stand, there's no way I can do it because I can't find anybody to do this. In Isaiah 59, he said, there was no man and there was no intercessor. In Jeremiah chapter five, he said, run everywhere you want to through the streets of Jerusalem and see if you can find a man that can execute real judgment. In Ezekiel chapter 22, 
He said, I sought for a man among men that should make up the hedge and stand up the gap, but I found none. In Revelation chapter five, John said, I wept because no man was found worthy to open and read the book. And one of the elders said, you need to quit crying because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed, hallelujah, to open the book and to loose the seals. I can imagine John saying, what do you mean? And the Lord would answer and said, since Isaiah couldn't find the man and Job couldn't find the man with the right blood and Ezekiel couldn't find the man with the right blood and you couldn't find the man with the right blood. I had to be the man. I had to be the one that would come myself and shed my blood for the sin of men and women. Because God knew that the only way to redeem man and woman was to have someone that was not of this earth. Do you believe in beings from outer space? You better believe I do. Because God became flesh and dwelt among us. Hallelujah. And we beheld his glory. We like to brag about Jesus being God. And I think we missed the point. Jesus didn't just come to turn water into wine. He didn't just come to turn white caps into a cobblestone street and walk on water. He didn't come just to feed 5,000 and show off all that God stuff. That was secondary. The real deal was the cross. That's why it says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. I think what Jesus was saying was, okay, mom, I'll save your party. That's not why I came here. I have an appointment with the cross and I'm not going to let anything stop me from hanging on that tree and shedding my blood for lost man and lost woman. Listen to this verse carefully in Hebrews 2. For as much then as the children, that word children is important, are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So when he talked about children and blood, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're dealing with here. He's talking about all of us. Jesus healed a woman one time with an issue of blood. And he said, somebody touched me. And they said, Jesus, the crowd is, the Bible said the press was heavy. The crowd was squeezing in on him. A lot of people were jostling. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about somebody that just bumped in me. There's a touch and, and then there's a touch. This, this woman siphoned virtue out of my body. And all of a sudden she stood up and she said, it was me. Watch what he said to her. Daughter, daughter, be of good cheer. This, you gotta, Jesus is not married. Jesus doesn't have an earthly family. Yet he refers to this woman as his daughter. And the reason is obvious because every woman on this planet is his daughter. And every man on this planet is his son. And that's one of the reasons why we're celebrating today like we are. Because regardless of what color or culture you may call home, listen, we've all had the same mom and dad. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all bound together by Adam and Eve. There is a bond that's, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. 
because there are two phrases in this verse that always intrigue me. One is the word partaker, but the other one says took part. The word partaker is an original word which means to fully share in. But then it, when it's talking about Jesus, it said he took part. He took part. He, it means that you take one part and you leave the other. You didn't fully share in, in, in that. In other words, Jesus took a body like us, but he didn't take the blood that we have because the blood of Adam poisoned us like, like a genetic mutation. But, but Jesus looks like us on the outside, but I promise you nothing like us on the inside. There's something very, very powerful there. I shot a deer recently and I came home and hit the ground running and like I always am and I, I forgot to clean out the bed of my truck and after two days of soaking in the sun with the top on that bed and the door closed, I got into my truck and smelled something really nasty and disgusting. And when I pulled my tailgate down, I instantly realized what I had forgot to do. I, that, that blood of that animal had spoiled inside of my truck and it smelled terrible. Think of this. Jesus ate an entire meal on Tuesday. It's what we call the Passover. That that he was crucified on Wednesday. You've got to have three days and three nights. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So you've got to have you've got to have Wednesday night and Thursday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday night, Saturday morning. You've got to get these three days and these three nights. But he was in the ground for three days in what even today is temperatures that exceed 100 degrees. But something is amazing. He was not embalmed. But the Bible said his flesh would not see corruption. He did not corrupt. He did not decay. He did not disintegrate. He did not stink. Why? Because he did not have blood like us. That blood was without sin. That blood was without the poison, amen, that's been injected into the Roman race. Jesus didn't get his blood from Joseph or Mary. He got his blood from heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, we are bought with that blood. We are blood bought with heaven blood. We are blood washed. We are blood covered. That's what the virgin birth is all about. He purchased the church with his own blood. So if he bought you, then we belong to him. He calls us. He even knows. We don't always survive what I'll call the F attacks of the devil. Because the devil will attack the F's in your life. He'll attack your faith. I learned being a pastor that if Satan couldn't attack me or my wife, he would try to attack us through our family. I learned that he will attack your friends. He will attack your finances. He'll attack your food. He even attacks us with fantasies. But you still belong to Jesus. I don't care what color your flag is. I don't care what color your skin is. 
I don't care what your cultural background is. You and I belong to him. Hallelujah. 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 So you go out in this city today after church. Many of you will make your way to a restaurant. Do something with me on your way to the restaurant today. Look at the masses of people that are on the sidewalks. Look at the people that are playing in the parks. Look at the people in the cars beside of you. Look at the people in the restaurant around you while you're eating. When you go home, look at all the people passing you in those cars. Every time, I I have flown over 20,000 miles in the last seven weeks. Most of the time, I've been coming back into Detroit late at night. And whenever we break through those clouds and the ambient light of Detroit just lights up this entire area, all I see are millions and millions and millions of lights. And I know that every one of them lights is representing a house, not just of one person, but of multiple people under the blue, blue, the, the bloom and possibly the gloom of that light. And I look and say, dear Jesus, how in the world are we going to reach this city? How in the world are we going to touch that place? I want that same sense to come over you today as you drive to the restaurant, as you look at the multiple thousands of people that you will pass between here and there and on your way back home. And then ask yourself this question. I want to know how many of these people I've just seen in the last two hours have been purchased with the blood of Jesus and applied that blood to their life through his name. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and have got that blood and that name applied to you, you are one special person and you need to be forever grateful. Forever grateful. Amen. For, for, for being one of the fortunate few because the federal government We'll call you a taxpayer. The attorney will call you a client. Your doctor refers to you as a patient. The bank calls you a depositor. The retailers call you a shopper. If you're a sports fan, then that's exactly what the sports world calls you, a fan. The people next door to you refer to you as a neighbor. The airlines refer to me as a passenger. And the hotels call us a guest. But Jesus calls you mine. He calls you mine. Our Father, which art in heaven, the Lord is my shepherd. (laughs) Will you stand with me? And for every child of God who has put in a hard day's work fighting against that anti-God monstrosity called sin, I want to honor you today. And join in with you today to lift up my voice and say, thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Because I wasn't even a good man. But while I was a sinner, he died for me. Because down through the ages, he calleth things that are not as though they are. You have to understand that before anything was, he simply looked through the time. And so you and me. And he saw you and me around the throne. And so what he had to do is he was going to have to justify you. 
And when he justified you, the Bible said those that he justified, he would sanctify. And those that he would sanctify, he would glorify. He saw that down through time. I want you to come with me around this altar. If you can, you've been given one of these for a reason today. This is not just to give you a colorful cloth. It's, I've watched many of you along with me, we'll use it, waving it in praise and worship during this earlier part of this service. But this is what we're going to do right now. Bible says that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Listen to that verse very carefully. That's saying, whatever I think Jesus can do, he will exceed that. He'll do more than I thought. And whatever I say he can do, he will exceed that. He will, that's why the Bible said, let the meditations of your heart and the words of your mouth be acceptable in his sight. Because if we're thinking, see, you, you see it's, what it's saying is you set the bar. Wherever you set the bar, he's going to exceed that. So what we're going to do in a few moments, we're going to raise the bar. We're going to raise the bar. The Bible says in Psalms, it said that when you lift the high praises of God, it said you will bind their kings with fetters of iron and their nobles with chains. This privilege hath all of the saints. Study Hebrews 8 and 9. It talks about a very specific man by the name of Levi who was the father of the Levites. If you know your Bible, the Old Testament staff of the church, the ministry in the Old Testament came from the family of the Levites. But according to Hebrews, when Levi, the namesake of that extended family, paid tithes for the first time, he thought, the Lord spoke to him and said, this is not the first time you paid tithes. And he didn't understand what that meant. And the Lord said, you paid tithes when you were in the bosom of your great-grandfather Abraham when he tithed unto Melchizedek. Abraham is generation one. Isaac is generation two. Jacob is generation three. Levi is generation chapter four. Exodus 20 doesn't just have the Ten Commandments. It also says this, that I will bless to the third and the fourth generation of them that love me. That literally you can affect your great grandchildren because why? Everything that was in Abraham, it wasn't even born yet. Everything that was potentially in him was affected by what he did when he tithed under Melchizedek. This is why Adam is the federal head of the human race because the world was in him when he sinned. Thus, the world that would be born after him was impacted by his sin. But it's why Jesus has given us an option to be in Christ. Dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament, it says you can be in Jesus Christ. You're not naturally in him. That just doesn't occur. You have to choose. As many as of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And if you get in Christ through water and spirit baptism, this is powerful, you see, because when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible said he took all things 
into him all things into him there is an option for you and me if we would choose to get in christ everybody that was in abraham's family was affected by what they did by what he did rather everybody that was in adam was affected by what he did but you and i have the ability to make a choice to be in jesus christ and if we will get in jesus christ he will impact and affect every son every daughter Jesus, you got to understand this day of Pentecost, he's been having kids for 2,000 years. Forget about the second generation, the third, the fourth. Jesus doesn't have grandkids. He doesn't have great grandkids. He doesn't have nieces or nephews. He said, I will call you my son and I will call you my daughter. We are first generation descendants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I'm challenging you to do right now is grab this cloth and I want you to pray a big prayer. I want you to discipline your mind and craft a prayer right now, a prayer of faith, a prayer of seeing around the corner and over the rise of the next hill. I want you to pray a big prayer. I don't want you to just think it. I want you to pray it. I want you to say it. I want you to join in with me and we're going to verbalize and vocalize and we're going to say these things. Amen. For what life and death are in the power of the tongue. Amen. Join me right now and let's pray. Father, Father, I come unto you now. The Bible said that I should go boldly before your throne in the time of need. And boy, is my world in a time of need. Oh, Jesus, is my country in a time of need. Is my city in a time of need. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, I sense you in this room right now. Surely in this setting and in this presence, you can hear my prayer about Jim Foote. Surely you will hear my prayer about Sean Knott. Surely you will hear my prayer about Ann Curtis. Surely, Lord, you will hear our prayers. Amen. Asking you to intervene and interrupt. But I'm not asking you just to heal people that call this church home and call me pastor. I'm asking you, God, for a mass healing. I'm asking you for something mighty to come out of this room right now. For those of you that are watching us through the medium of the internet, would you please join us in prayer right now? Would you please stop what you're doing and pray with us right now? I wish you could be in this room and see what I see and feel what I feel. But I do know that you're watching and I'm asking you to join us from points all over this world. In the name of Jesus, you said if two agree on earth as touching any one thing, it would be done. There are many more than two. You said if two or three are gathered in your name, you'll be there in the midst of them. We've got more than that here. Oh, Jesus, I'm asking you, God, to overcome every obstacle, every hurdle, every stronghold. I'm asking you, Lord, your word said you can shut a door, and when you do, nobody can open it. The Bible said you shut to the door of the ark. I'm sure they tried, but they couldn't pry it open. But your word also says you can open up the windows of heaven, and no one will ever shut them. So God, whatever needs shut, shut it now. Whatever needs to be opened, Open it now. I pray for these families. I pray for these marriages. I pray for this city. Lord.